Testament. We will mostly be reading the Bible passage we're looking at today as we go along, as we go through. Normally we have our online reading first up, we're going to look at it on the way through. Um, your new month up, special welcome uh, to you. And uh, of course we feel your pain, mate, about uh, first year. I'm not sure whether I should be in this degree or not. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you're in that degree, you're in your degree, or you're in that lecture and you realise, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> <laughs> or you're just in that lecture, you know you're in the right degree, but you're just in that lecture and I don't understand a single thing. <laughs> and then you look around the room. <coughs> And you wonder, does anyone else understand what's happening here? <coughs> Worse than that, you look around the room, and it looks like everybody does get what's happening here, and you've missed something that was key. You should have actually been attending for the first ten weeks or something. As we've been looking at the Old Testament book of Isaiah, it's a big book. It can feel a little bit like that. You launch into it, we're only like three weeks in, and you can launch in and you can feel like, I don't know what's happening here. And it just gets worse. And you know that, well, if you've been a Bible reader for some time, you know that there's Isaiah 53 is coming. But we're still at chapter 3. <laughs> and I'm a bit lost. So I thought it might be helpful for us to get our bearings and understand the structure of Isaiah a there's the picture, you can't see that. We're going to zoom in on uh, a little bit of it. Isaiah, remember, is a vision that Isaiah sees. It's a 66 chapter vision. And being a vision, it's more like a journal than a novel. It's structured around themes and issues rather than a chronological succession of events or a narrative. It's got big themes that keep coming back and developing as it goes and repeating and developing as it goes. And so we've got the big themes of judgment and salvation. First 36 chapters on judgment and the rest on salvation. But it's not quite that simple because the first 36 chapters also contain lots of salvation as well. If we were to, sorry, just to show you what we're doing. We're in this little bit here at the moment, the first couple of chapters, and just to show you where we, what that sort of looks like, the first 12 chapters really is caught up with this theme of that the Lord is King. The Lord is King. And this cycle of judgment and salvation continues through that chapter as Isaiah explores it with his vision. And so chapter 1 very much has already shown us the judgment of God on the city of Jerusalem. And chapter 2, last week, that massive vision of what God is going to do in restoring Jerusalem into the future in a way that is just unimaginably great and good. So chapter 1 and chapter 2 sort of give you the whole book 
in a little nutshell. One of these cycles, if you like, not a chronological cycle, but a cycle of judgment and salvation. But it's not quite so flat and bland as just judgment and salvation. Some of the details flesh out as you work through. It's judgment on present Jerusalem, as in present back in 700 BC Jerusalem. But it's salvation for future Jerusalem, for the, the promise to Jerusalem is that it will be saved from the judgment. In particular, the judgment early on is on corrupt leadership. And we'll see that again today. And the salvation that does come is going to flow through to all the nations. And if you've been with us, you've seen that this vision is actually one that is universal. It's not just about the city. It's about all nations. And indeed, again, more detail is re revealed. The judgment is for rejecting the Holy One of Israel, the God who owns Israel. He calls Jerusalem, uh, his city, his children who have rejected him. In salvation, Jerusalem will be saved by being cleansed and renewed. And we've seen this a little bit already. So as we work through these big themes, we're starting to get a, more of an idea of the details and further today. Well, this is just our cycle. Chapter 1, a lot on judgment. Chapter 2, on salvation. Chapter 3, we look at today. Back to the theme more of judgment. Chapter 4 that we look at today on salvation. And then chapter 5, and we continue on. Well, the other way thing we need to understand is a bit more about the situation that Jerusalem is in. Uzziah, not Isaiah, but Uzziah is the king. What's life like under Uzziah? We saw this a little bit last week as well. Well, there's a few things. It's cosmopolitan, it's wealthy, and it's secure. It's cosmopolitan, it's full of things from the east, like exotic things. We're talking importing goods from around the world. It's a wealthy country. If you remember from last week, chapter 2, verse 7, the land is full of silver and gold, chariots and horses, like the nation had never seen before. Uzziah reigns for 52 years. It's a long reign. He's, he's a good king. Uh, he's a godly king. On the whole, he has a slip-up along the way. But this nation, even though it was more powerful under David and, and Solomon, they now have the things of the, of the nations, the, the wealth of the nations in that country, and the security that comes with it. I'll jump over to um, 2 Chronicles. You can jot this down. Um, actually, I'm going to have to zoom in there. There we go. This is from 2 Chronicles. Uh, he, Uzziah, set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Big thing about King Uzziah. And just down to verse 8, the Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah. That means they gave him money. And his fame spread even to the border of Egypt, for he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle and fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many systems, for he had large herds both in the 
Shephelah and in the plain. And he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands, for he loved the soil. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war in divisions according to their numbers in the muster made by Jael, the secretary, and Messiah, the officer, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of the fathers' houses of mighty men of valour was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307,500 who could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army, shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows and stronger stones for slinging. In Jerusalem he made engines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously <coughs> helped till he was strong. This is all the great stuff that any city could own in the ancient world. And Uzziah has it in Jerusalem. It's a secure place. The borders of the nation are big. They're wide. And so they have peace. Much like the peace and the comfort and the wealth that we enjoy here in Australia. Much wealth. But the word of the Lord here that comes to us in chapter 3 is that this life of luxury, security, and resting on military strength is coming to an end. It's coming to an end. This word against Jerusalem teaches us about the justice of God. So, what do we see? What do we see about the justice, justice of God? What's it like to experience God's judgment? When is God's judgment? When do you see that? And how does God's judgment show us his priorities? There's some of the things to be looking through. Well, we're going to have verses 1 to 5 read for us first of all. Um, so this is verses 1 to 5 of Isaiah 3. For, for behold, the Lord God of hosts is taking away from Jerusalem and from Judah support and supply, and all support of bread and all support of water. The mighty man and the soldier, the judge of the prophet, the diviner and the elder. The captain of fifty and the man of rank, the counsellor and the skillful magician and the expert in charms. And I will make boys their princes and infants shall rule over them. And the people will oppress one another, every one of his fellows, every one his neighbour. The youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honourable. Well, what do we see happening in Jerusalem? People will be taken away. That's what's going to happen. Uh, in particular, the leaders, those 2,600 commanders of the armies with the 307,500 soldiers, gone. The judges, the diviners, gone. The prophets, gone. The men of wisdom and insight, you are able to rule people, gone. That's what is coming for Jerusalem. There's going to be a leadership vacuum in that city, a leadership crisis, such that who will be the leaders? Well, it'll be the, the boys and infants, like the little kids, the only ones that are left. They'll be the ones that will be put in charge. In other words, 
going to be mayhem. It's going to be anarchy. The result is that people who were perhaps once neighbourly with each other will instead start to become aggressive and brutal towards each other. You can see that in verse 5. And people will oppress one another, even one his, everyone his fellow and everyone his neighbour. <coughs> the youth will be insolent to the elder and the despised to the honourable. Can you imagine your street, <coughs> the street of your suburb, where it's mayhem, where there is no one in charge, <coughs> where there's no police to police? Did you hear about the riots in Melbourne? The riots in Melbourne. One third of the police went on strike over the weekend. Public order in the city was completely broken down. Uh, drunken mobs rioted in the streets, terrorising people, smashing windows, looting shops. There were shootings and murder. It happened in Melbourne on the weekend before Melbourne Cup Day in November 1923. The police went on strike. And this was one of the headlines, there many, uh, in the Argus on the Monday. <laughs> what they thought happened, as the papers reported, was that it was an opportunity for all the gangs uh, to basically run riot and loot. But what they actually found later on as they investigated all of these things in court was that all of the offenders who were apprehended, and there were many, were young men and boys without any criminal record whatsoever. Mm -hmm. What I revealed is when the leadership is taken away, when things like policing is taken away, we actually realise this is a very, very thin veil <coughs> of respectability. A very thin veil of doing the right thing, which is done away with and just allows for people to be as they really are. And this is what is God's judgment on this city of Jerusalem. That security will be taken away and things will be as they really are. Well, why is this going to happen? Verse 8, we can see why this is going to happen. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom, they do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with them, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. Okay, don't go anywhere. We'll need you in a second. Their speech and their deeds defy his glorious presence. Their speech and deeds. Their what speech and deeds defy God's glorious presence? Well, verse 14 and 15. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have de devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. See, 
Why is God's judgment coming upon the people <coughs> such that he's removing corrupt leadership? It's because the leadership who have crushed the poor and neglected the poor have filled themselves on their poverty, on the wealth of the poor and, and exacerbated their poverty. That is what God says defies his glorious presence. See, God's judgment shows his priorities. His judgment is on the leadership. They are removed. They're taken away. The whole city is affected. Uh, Isaiah says that the, the righteous, it will be well with them. No doubt they are affected by the lack of leadership in the city. But also, we see God's priority for the poor. But they have been neglected. And so God is going to do something about it. God is actually going to take away those who are pressing them and, and do something else. Now we'll come to what God's going to do in a moment. But I, uh, um, Isaiah is showing that no matter how much prosperity that Uzziah might bring, it does not secure against God's judgment. In fact, ill-gotten gain which oppresses only leads to the judgment of God. And here it's seen in the removal of stable society. Also, we see that God's judgment is directed to leading women of the city. And, in particular, in their use of fashion. It's there in verse 16 through uh, to 17. The Lord said, Because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing returnly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tickling with their feet, therefore the Lord will strike with the scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. Okay, we're doing uh, so we see that the Lord, just like in chapter 2, if you remember, God is acting against the arrogance of the people, the arrogance of the leading people of the city. Uh, back in chapter 2, there was the military uh, arrogance and the commercial arrogance. Here, having dealt with that, God's zeroing in on the leading women of the city with their arrogance and defiance seen in fashion. And so God is going to bring those proud ones down and he's going to remove their fashion uh, in verse 18. And you've got to be able to do this in all in one breath. One breath. In that way, the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands and the crescents, the peasants, the bracelets, pendants, sorry, the bracelets and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, and the amulets, the signet rings and the nose rings, the festal robes, the mantles, the cloaks, and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans, and the veils. Three. Well, that's at least, I'm not sure if you, any of you own all of them, <laughs> or if all of us together own any of own all of them. Uh, <coughs> but it's this picture of of wealth, of luxury, of fashion. Oh, <coughs> it's a vain pretense and arrogance. 
goes along with the rest of the arrogance that's in the city uh, and crushing the face of the poor in the dirt. Uh, and God says he's going to deal with that. Uh, it'll be like going to Miranda Fair, cashed up for a shopping trip, and there's nothing in any of the shops. They're all empty, empty, empty. And you guys, you might think, well, it's Miranda Fair, I don't know what that is. Uh, it's going to be empty. You look off in the distance. Maybe there's one shop that's got stock in it. It's Miller's. <laughs> no, actually, it's Lowe's. <laughs> but God is going to take away all the stuff that they think is grand, they think is great, that they put their trust in, and it's going to be replaced. It's going to be replaced, verse 24 and 26. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness, and instead of a belt, a robe, and instead of well-set hair, boldness, and instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth and branding instead of beauty. And her gates shall lament and mourn, empty shall she shall sit on the ground. It's not by choice, but the only thing that they will have around them to wear is rotting garbage. Such is the judgment that God is going to bring upon Jerusalem. Uh, we see here also that the men of the leadership are removed because they're actually killed in battle. Uh, we're told, verse 25, your men shall fall by the sword and your mighty men in battle. That's what's happened to them. Why is this happening to the, to the women of the city? Uh, well, whether it's by their own hands or the hands of others, it seems that in verse 14 it says, the riches of the poor is in their houses of the middle class leadership. Isaiah says, they're well dressed and decked out in bling, while the poor are crushed. They have spoiled the poor, they have the spoil of the poor in their houses. And God <coughs> in his justice says, he's going to remove their wealth. They've acted unjustly, and God is bringing justice in righteousness. What are God's priorities? He cares for the poor and needy. He cares how they are treated. Now, zoom through to us. God cares how we treat those who are less fortunate. God cares how we treat the needy. Our choices make a difference, and God cares about them. Our choices in fashion uh, and clothing matter to God, especially when they have effects on others. Yeah, this is a big issue. This is not primarily what I was talking about, but it shows God's priorities for poor people. And we need to be uh, aware of those things. Now, I've asked a couple of sisters who have thought through some of this uh, to help us out with, with this particular issue, uh, or to least talk with us about their, their thinking. I'm going to ask Caitlin and Meg to come up. Isaiah has raised this issue of fashion and clothing, and it's, it's a big one for us uh, throughout the years, and I'm going to let them tell us the things that they've been thinking through about this issue. Um, so we know that we are in a different context 
to the Israelites were here. We probably do need to replace our belts with ropes. Um, but it is an important thing for us to be thinking about, particularly so we don't fall into the same sins that the women and um, the Israelites in general fell into in this time. Um, so I'm someone who would prefer to have a uniform for life and not really have to think about clothes. But society doesn't say that's okay, so I still have to think about these things. And then on the other hand, um, I love clothes a lot. I have a nose ring, I have handbags. Clothes, I feel like, are a creative expression for me even. So I know that it's definitely an area that can become a weakness for me. And I have to think about it a lot. So Rob did ask us if we could think of some practical things that might be helpful um, in thinking about this issue. Um, so we've come up with three questions that could be really good to ask ourselves when thinking about fashion and clothes and accessories and all of those things. Um, so Meg's going to tell you about the first one. <laughs> um, so the first question we thought would be helpful is to ask who are you seeking to love? <coughs> Sorry, Flynn. <laughs> 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 Who are you seeking to love? So this chapter focuses a lot on the oppression, on oppression um, particularly of the poor. Um, it's a big issue. And today, fashion and the poor is just as big, if not bigger, than it was then. Um, fashion is made in developing countries. We wear it, we buy it really fast, we use it for a little while, we chuck it back over there. They're kind of drowning in our second-hand clothes in developing countries. Um, and fashion is a symbol of decadence, like Rob was saying. If you look at the Met Gala recently, this wearable art, huge gowns of exquisite jewels and headdresses, um, and it really is like grinding our wealth into the faces of the poor. Um, our, chosen, our clothing choices have an effect on people. Um, Buying clothes that are not contributing to the oppression of the poor is hard, but uh, there are some useful guides out there now. So there's a Baptist World Aid Guide of um, Ethical Fashion Choices. Uh, there's also a site www.ethical.org does the same thing. Um, but also we should think about uh, the speed of our fashion. So something like Kmart gets a good ethical rating, but the clothes don't last that long. So there's an environmental impact there and they do get shipped back to other countries. Um, there's also a more immediate group to love, though, with our clothes, and that's those people around us. <coughs> Sorry. So there's modesty, um, dressing appropriately for the occasion. For example, um, you might have a wedding to go to, and if you wear your everyday rags with holes in them and no shoes, you're not loving the bride and groom by wearing your best to their best day. Um, or if you wore your bikini to uni, um, maybe that's okay in Wollongong, but it's not really respecting and loving the university institution and the people around you. It's probably quite distracting in a lecture. Um, so who are you seeking to love? And the second question that can be helpful to ask is, who are you seeking to glorify in the way that you dress? Are you seeking to glorify yourself or God? So the women in... Uh, this passage today, they are really arrogantly seeking their own glory. <coughs> Something's Sorry. going on today. Um, so another verse that could be helpful in thinking about this is 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. It says, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles 
and the wearing of gold jewellery or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is a great work in God's sight. So this tells us that our character should be the focus. We shouldn't be focusing on our appearance and making that um, a big thing in our life. It's our character that glorifies God. If people see a gentle and quiet spirit, then that brings God glory. The focus needs to be on who we are rather than on what we look like. So who are we seeking to glorify in the way that we dress? And the third question is about your, what are your priorities with time and money? So I started leading Sunday school back in year nine, um, and I realised one week that, I mean, I was a terrible Sunday school teacher, and I realised one week that I was spending more time getting ready in the morning than I was preparing for a lesson. And that's a pretty obvious marker of where my priorities were um, with, with that work. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21 says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Moths can literally destroy clothes and your appearance won't last. You start ageing pretty soon. Um, <laughs> these things are short term. I was investing in you know, I was investing more time in my appearance that was going to fade, well, probably already fading back in. <laughs> and I wasn't investing in teaching these kids about the words that give eternal life. Um, so what should the priority of our money be? It is necessary to spend money on clothes. We need clothes. Um, but what is your priority? And so that's just a helpful marker. Yeah. So to sum up, um, some helpful questions to ask so that we don't fall into the same sins that these people do. Uh, who are you seeking to love in the way you dress? Who are you seeking to glorify? And what are your priorities with time and money? Thanks, Rob. Cool. Raise any, any questions? <laughs> we'll be able to deal with them um, later. Uh, questions are there anything about questions? Any questions that, that that are raised for you? Any people that get raised that are worth thinking through? Even if we don't get a chance to talk about them now, I think um, I think this does raise a question for deal with. Anyone? It doesn't have to just be the girl. Either. I think this is. Uh, while this typically has been <laughs> historically uh, women's issue, girls' issue for them to think about, it is not really so much anymore. Um, so guys hearing this as well, very much so. Any things you want to ask or think, think would be worth thinking through further on this issue? Yeah. How... Um, uh, is it necessarily a bad thing to feel more confident in certain styles of clothing? Mm. Okay. Like, say, a suit um. over your Sunday, uh, your Sunday swim gear. I realise that it's going to take us a while. Uh, we do need to finish on, on, a, on a different note, but you can, you're hearing these. 
as John the Baptist is announcing the coming of Jesus, who we'll see later on, who is the branch that Isaiah 4 is talking about. When John is baptizing people and the leaders come, he says to the leaders, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. They are not actually living the way they should be. They're actually, well, let's see, what are they doing? Now we're going to jump down. Verse 10. What does John say to the crowds? What shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics uh, to share, two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. See, in preparing for the king, the Lord Jesus, to come to his city, his place, you're actually to repent and show repentance in, well, even in clothing here. If you've got an abundance, share with those who don't have. The right way to prepare for the king is to repent. And as the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptise you with water. That's the cleansing idea coming through. But he who is mightier than I is coming and the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, gather the wheat into his barn, the charcoal burn the vegetable fire. Jesus, when he comes, the king brings a spirit of burning and a fire to cleanse people from the inside out, you could say, to put a new heart so that we can live a life of repentance. Friends, if you need to repent and follow Jesus as your king, then chapters is about doing that. If you need to repent and put into practice sharing with those in need, being thoughtful about our choices, then do so. I want to pray that the Lord might help us. Father, thank you for what we've been able to see from your word today. In the complexities of this world, <coughs> uh, we thank you that you still care for those who are in need. Uh, we thank you that the Lord Jesus does reign. And while we can't get things right perfectly, we thank you that his reign does bring holiness, does bring righteousness. Help us to live following him as king, as your king over this world. Help us to put into practice the repentance following him. In all areas of our life, uh, Lord, give us wisdom in these matters. We pray. Amen. Rachel's going to lead some prayer. Hi, my name is Rachel, and I'm a fourth year primary education student. I have the privilege of praying for us today. So, praying is just talking to God. So, if you would like, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for the Uni Bible Group and all the work that they do on here. Thank you for the opportunity we have for Jesus Weeks at the beginning of next semester. We pray for the preparation and organisation leading up to Jesus Weeks. We pray that many would come and hear about Jesus and come to hear the gospel proclaimed in our talks. We praise you, God, for all the faculty socials that have been happening and for the friendships that are being strengthened within faculties. 
We pray that the same happens for the Cord Social tonight and the Stealth Social during Stuback, that many will find the time to invest in friendships and to hear the Gospel proclaimed. Father, we also pray for our brothers and sisters in Orange at Charles Sturt University. Thank you so much for the quick recovery of the AFES staff worker, Greg Blanch, who had a six-week stay in hospital over the summer break. Thank you that he has been able to return to ministry early in the semester. We pray for him as he still has more surgeries to come. We give thanks for how the committee and other members of the group who have stepped up in semester one. Thank you for the first years who have joined the group and we pray that they will continue to come and connect well with other Christians. And lastly, Father, we pray for the non-Christians who have been coming every week to Bible study. We pray that they will be well followed up, and we pray especially for students A, K, B and E. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.